0: Good afternoon and welcome to Mediascope, the programme for and about the public relations, event management and journalism industries. I'm Ellen Gunning from the Irish Academy of Public Relations and you're very welcome to the programme. Now on this week's show I'm chatting with Josephine Brown about George Floyd and how the media covered his death. I'm joined on the line by Josephine Brown who's written a blog about media comparisons really. Thanks for taking my call Josephine. Thank you, Alan. Nice to talk to you. And to you. Now, you've looked at the coverage of George Floyd's death. Uh, He died in police custody on 25th of May last year, 2020, in Minneapolis. And he died after the police responded to a call about the attempted use of a forged banknote. Uh, Former police officer Chauvin has been charged, found guilty, and he's currently appealing that verdict and seeking a retrial. Let me begin with what for me was a very interesting element. Chauvin put his knee on George Floyd's neck. And the reason that the world really became conscious of this was because of citizen journalism. A teenager captured it on mobile phone footage. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Well, that started the video that she captured. And I mean, it was a very brave thing to do uh, in the circumstances. Uh, but the video that she captured went viral within 10 minutes of that incident, which shows the, the power, really, of, uh, I suppose, citizenship journalism.
0: She uploaded to YouTube, didn't she?
1: That's right, yeah. So she, did. so she
0: made sure that the story actually got out and got as wide an audience as possible. Your research and your blog looked at... there were There were over 3 million news items reporting it. It's incredible that George Floyd would have been unknown outside of his immediate family circle on the 24th of May. And by the 26th of May, his his name, his face, his story was so well known worldwide, globally. You looked at three different newspapers, the Guardian, the Financial Times and the Washington Post. You took a two day period and you looked at how they covered the story. Why did you look at these three? Why did you choose these three in the first instance?
1: Well, I, the, the newspapers I selected are fairly well Uh, recognized as being, you know, having independent coverage. And also, um, I suppose, they're very well written. Um, I read The Guardian regularly. I read The Financial Times at weekends. It's a brilliant newspaper. And I read The Washington Post. So I suppose from that point of view, um, that's really for the, the guided the selection criteria.
0: So there were three quality newspapers that you looked at as opposed to uh, tabloids or uh, salacious coverage, <laughs> the Red Top. So what you were yes. looking for was to dig into how each of these quality papers covered the story. Um, Before I bring you to what you found, let me just ask you, uh, the the titles on three of the stories that you looked at, I think possibly put it a little bit in context. The Guardian's title was US Rocked by Third Night of Protests over the Death in Police Custody of George Floyd. The Financial Times title was Ex-Policeman Who Knelt on George Floyd's Neck Charged with Murder. And the Washington Post ran with anger over George Floyd's killing ripples far beyond the United States. All three of them took a completely different angle on this story, didn't they?
1: They did indeed and it was within four days of the uh, the death of George Floyd. I think the interesting thing uh, uh, as then the reporting of it in each of the three newspapers, the same event uh, was reported quite differently um, and I'd have to say I was very disappointed at how The Guardian handled the reporting of it. So let's Um, start
0: with The Guardian. How did they cover the story?
1: The interesting thing about The Guardian report was it zoomed in on riots and the resulting damage, which would be really very micro in perspective and really lost. uh, It was a lost opportunity to report on sort of the bigger issues, which was uh, police brutality and racism. And even the Black Lives Matter movement.
0: So, why do you think they concentrated? the The visuals would have been very familiar to everybody from watching television, because it, obviously the the rioting is a very visual story, irrespective of what the the text is that underlays that visual. Why do you think the Guardian went with the visual of the story rather than the actual the meat of the story, as you say, police brutality or Black Lives Matter? Um, Others.
1: There's several sort of um, possibilities as to why. I mean, it, it might have just been um, time maybe in the newsroom, but the, there is a theory, it's called the protest paradigm, which uh, seeks to argue that some media narratives emphasize the drama and the inconvenience and the disruption of protests, rather than the demands and the grievances and the agendas of protest. And it would seem to me that The Guardian opted for this, the, 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 the protest paradigm. You know, it made good, interesting reading to have a, a very visual photograph of, of Minneapolis burning um, and the, the, the narrative on riots and damage to property.
0: And the, the protest paradigm that you talk about, I presume, concentrates on uh, the drama to the exclusion of any kind of in-depth analysis of what caused it or what's behind it. Is that the idea?
1: Yes, that, that would be correct. Um, you know, if we compare the, the the report in The Guardian with, say, the other two newspapers on that day, The Financial Times or The Washington Post, they included key external stakeholders. You know, for example, the Floyd family uh, attorney was interviewed. Uh, the U.S. Attorney General's comments were included, even Trump's. Uh, famous uh, comment, you know, the looting starts, the shooting starts comment was was referred to in the other two. Whereas the Guardian seemed to overlook that and concentrated purely on damage to property.
0: The, the Guardian, when I was um, reading this in advance of talking to you, the Guardian seemed to Almost watch the television and write a piece based on it, um, which is not to be too too cruel to the journalist who wrote it. But it didn't seem to; it seemed to be a retelling of what somebody else might have already told. The Financial Times, to my mind, seemed to do much more an American take on it, and the Washington Post actually seemed to be more global in its look. Would that be fair?
1: Indeed, it would be. Yeah, that would be very accurate. Um, I think the Financial Times got it from day one. And they realized that this was a pivotal moment in U.S. black history. You know, you mentioned at the beginning that George Floyd is known now all over the world. The name is known all over the world. Mm -hmm. And this is a pivotal moment in U.S. black history, whereas The Guardian just didn't get that. It it clung to its property damage and riots and things like that. The Guardian, they knew the Financial Times, on the other hand, linked uh, police brutality with racism and the Black Lives Matter movement, which was a much wider take on the incident.
0: You also had a a very interesting point that the story as told and the fact that it focused on Black Lives Matter really resonated more because people, white public opinion, was more open to the idea of an equality of black lives than they had been when similar things happened in the early 2000s.
1: Yes, and there's been some research on that as well. And I think it goes back to the video. There's there's no denying the facts that were shown on the video. And, you know, the the eight or nine minutes that the police officer knelt on uh, George, George Floyd's neck when he was uh, saying he couldn't breathe. I mean, that was compelling evidence, compelling video. It was horrific
0: um, to watch and your eyes could not leave the screen.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You yeah. knew
0: it was going to end very, very badly, but you couldn't actually take your eyes away. Why do you think, or is there any research to show why white public opinion was was more reasonable on this occasion than it had been on previous occasions? Was it a media narrative? Was it the way the media had written the story in the 10 or 20 years since 2000 that had changed white public opinion, do you think?
1: I think the media narratives... Um emphasized the police brutality and linked it with racism as opposed to trivializing the matter, looking at damage to property. And I think the dominant media narrative about uh, racism and police brutality is, you know, there's no agenda there. It's a factual report. And um, I think any reasonable person would be um, swayed by that reporting. (laughs)
0: And what about the fact that and so if if people had so it is the power of the reporter and how they tell the story. I'm conscious that you also pulled in another piece of research at one stage about the lack of diversity in newsrooms. And I, I found myself thinking about a conference that I was on earlier this week where the woman began by saying there had been big changes in politics in America with the election of President Biden. And actually the leadership in America now, the government, is more reflective of American citizens generally because it's multiracial and multicultural than previous governments had been. Are newsrooms beginning to change as well? Has that been an element of it?
1: It would be be nice to think that, yes, it is changing, but there is a problem of uh, diversity in newsrooms and in the media generally. I mean, there was only recently reports, I think, by the BBC which shows that there is quite a number of um, they're they're increasing their diversity in sort of the front line, but behind the scenes, there's there's very little change.
0: So the people who actually decide the stories that will be covered uh, are still primarily white and middle class.
1: Yes, yes, I, and, I know. And you'll find that trend. Uh, it's, you know, I've been looking at uh, a little bit of research as well, say in the music industry, the film industry, and generally the cultural and creative industries. There is a problem of uh, diversity.
0: I, I know that the one that used to be spoken of most, uh, which absolutely excluded race, but it was um, background. It was the fact that if all of the media comes from a middle class background primarily, then they don't actually cover issues that are relevant to working class people um, except on a we look in and we see basis they've never actually it's not a lived experience and I suppose race and all those other diversities that a newsroom should have filter into all of that. What about the fact that with these three print media um, they have a a possibly a better chance to actually contextualise racism and what's going on in America and Black Lives Matter than perhaps radio or television
1: has well they have more time i think the research would say that in in print media there's more opportunities to contextualize um you know key events and and major stories whereas um you know the, the, they can take a, a longer time although i'm quite sure deadlines impact on um on, on every story than how it's reported but i'd just like to say that in relation to the Guardian. The Guardian has, since that day, <laughs> of uh-huh. its um, um, scant reporting on that, or it's, it's, I suppose its uh, underestimation of the impact of that event, uh, has since then made up for it in large part. You know. Well, that's Guardian a nice
0: has, uh, note to close on, that the Guardian has recovered its good reputation have, and its good name <laughs> by the quality of the coverage. Josephine Brown, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Ellen. Bye-bye.
0: Pleasure having you. Well, now, that's all I have for you for this week. If you've information you'd like to share with listeners or you've a good story to tell, then please email me to mediascope at dublincityfm.ie. And don't forget, you can hear podcasts of this and previous Mediascope programmes on www.irishacademy.ie. I'm Ellen Gunning. Sound this week was by Fergal Daly. Thanks to you for being with me today. I look forward to the pleasure of your company at the same time next week. So until then... Goodbye.